We got a voicemail a while back from a listener named Milo. He had what seemed like a simple enough question. I saw a sign in front of a home in Winchester, New Hampshire, that stated, Gun Shop in Garage, with an arrow pointing the way. Is that legal? I called the guy who owns that particular gun shop. It's just a side hustle. But I kept thinking about Milo's question. Plenty of people drive by that sign and don't think anything of it. Other people drive past, and it's like, wait a minute, that's a thing? You can just sell guns out of your garage? It feels like one small instance of the divide in this country around guns. This is Word of Mouth from New Hampshire Public Radio. It's a show in which we answer listener questions about the state. I'm Ben Henry. The divide over guns will not change anytime soon. But our gun laws here in New Hampshire, they might change. I want to talk about those changes, but first, to Milo's question about gun laws as they are right now. The short answer is yes, it is legal to sell guns out of your garage as long as you have a license to do so. Hey, give me two seconds. I'm just going to cash this guy out. Okay, sure. Yeah. This is Ben Boschman. He's got sweet hold music. He owns a small gun shop called Wicked Weaponry Firearms in Hudson. This is not the same gun shop that Milo drove past, but it's subject to all the same laws. All right, sorry about that. Hey, no worries. What are we talking about? Is now a better time? Do you have a few minutes? Yeah, yeah. It's just, okay. just you and me now. Ben opened the shop seven years ago. I tell people it's more like a hot rod shop. We do mostly custom firearms, so we deal specifically in AR-15s, uh, and we also do custom paint jobs, and we do some custom modifications on pistols, too. Before you can open a business that sells guns, you have to get certified by the federal government. It's a whole process. It's basically like a glorified background check process. Kind of like when you get hired at a new job, they'll look for uh, references, they'll kind of dig in your past and, you know, make sure you're a responsible, law-abiding citizen. You know, all the basic stuff you would want to either possess or sell firearms. After that, they'll actually do a sit-down interview with you where they'll go over all of the stuff you need to know as far as, like, whether you're manufacturing or selling firearms. Because there's a lot to learn in a very short period of time. The government actually publishes a list of everybody who is certified to sell firearms in the United States. So, Ben's on that list. Also, the owner of the garage gun shop that Milo drove past is on the list, too. One reason we have this certification process is to make sure gun sellers follow the correct procedure for selling a gun. When somebody walks into your shop and they want to buy a gun, what do they have to do to be allowed to buy that gun? So when it comes to buying firearms in the state of New Hampshire, because it can vary from state to state, um, if you come into the shop and you want to buy a handgun or a rifle, we do the standard background check, which is a government form 4473. It's like a three or four page uh, background check. You fill out your basic information, and then there's a bunch of yes or no questions as far as like um, criminal history. Background checks are the main bulwark in this country against a person buying a gun with bad intentions. If you've been convicted of a felony, for example, or for domestic violence, you can't buy a gun. And we check your ID. So you need to have a federal document, a photo ID, and then we send everything up. Uh, for handguns, we send up background checks to the New Hampshire State Police. And then for long guns, we send, send them up to uh, the FBI NICS system, their, their instant criminal background check system. And so that's basically just like a phone call for you? Just a phone call, yeah. The background check system, and I'm not breaking any news here, it's full of holes. Among the perpetrators of mass shootings in the last few years, some should have been caught by background checks, but they slipped through. 
the biggest hole is that if a private individual, not someone who owns a gun shop, sells their own gun to another individual, there's no background check involved. This is called a private sale. You've also probably heard someone talk about the gun show loophole. That's when someone is selling guns at a gun show, but they're doing so as a private citizen, not as a business, so there's no background check. In the last few months, four bills have passed the New Hampshire House that place some kind of new regulation on guns. One of them is intended to close that loophole by requiring more background checks. House bills numbered 101 through packed committee room today as lawmakers debated the merits of banning guns in safe school zones 142 through 169. Voted to approve a seven-day waiting period for gun purchases. On a bill designed to help prevent gun violence. To petition the court to take someone's guns. There's a Democratic majority in both the New Hampshire House and the Senate for the first time in about a decade. And Democrats are more united on guns than they used to be. So these bills stand a chance of getting through. If they do get through, the effect they will have on New Hampshire totally depends on who you ask. There's actually a gun show going on this weekend in Concord. At the Everett Arena, we have over 200 tables, 100 vendors selling all things regarding to the Second Amendment. It could be holsters, it could be ammunition, it could be rifles, it could be pistols. This is Matt Mayberry. He organizes the Concord Gun Show. And there was one thing he wanted to say to me right off the bat. There is no gun show loophole. It's the wonderful hyperbole that people who don't like firearms toss out there that you, Ben, can walk in and buy a pistol and go out and commit mass murder. No. According to Matt, the policy at his gun show, and every gun show in New Hampshire, is that no private sales are allowed, only commercial sales by people like Ben, who have licenses. Any firearm that leaves a gun show in the state of New Hampshire has a background check conducted on that purchaser. As far as I can tell, this is true. Although it's not required by state or federal law. So technically, if Matt or someone else who organizes a gun show in New Hampshire wanted to allow private sales, they could. So one of the four proposed gun laws would close this hypothetical loophole by requiring a background check for at least some private sales. To Matt, it feels like a solution in search of a problem. How would that bill affect the Concord gun show? It wouldn't. doesn't change my day in one bit. Matt does think that the bill would place an unreasonable burden on law-abiding citizens. Although the bill is full of exceptions. If you're doing a private sale and you decide that the person you're selling the gun to is above board and doesn't need a background check, you can just choose not to do a background check. If you're wrong, you're accountable for it. But still, it's a pretty big loophole inside of a bill designed to close a loophole. For Matt, bills like this that step into private life and fuss around with who gets which guns, this strikes a constitutional nerve. It's the Second Amendment. It's black and white. It's written right out there. This line of reasoning is frustrating for someone who doesn't agree with it because it's so elemental. Don't touch the Constitution. End of conversation. Maybe the way you see it, it's not the end, and the Constitution is not untouchable. Maybe it's covered in fingerprints, and we're supposed to add our own. I've been doing the background check bill it's kind of since God talked to Moses, I think this is my fifth try. Catherine Rogers is a state lawmaker from Merrimack. Every time she's introduced this bill in the past, it died. And um, 
a number of us came together to do this gun safety caucus. This year, Catherine is one of the lawmakers responsible for the surge of momentum behind gun legislation. And what we did is we kind of um, threw all the ideas of the various legislation and measures, and we kind of made it, took a consensus of which bills we thought were the most important. And we came up with four bills to concentrate on this session. And the background check was the highest priority. Beside the background check bill, another bill would require a seven-day waiting period between when you buy a gun and when you can take it home. It's designed to slow down rash decisions. Most deaths due to guns in New Hampshire are suicides. Another bill would make schools gun-free zones. Another is called the Red Flag Bill, designed to help law enforcement intervene before a violent incident. And these bills, together, they represent a thought process that guns are okay, and people should have them, but we're going to hem them in around the edges in lots of little ways. A lot of people who support bills like this first got on board in 2012. Sandy Hook. That shooting changed a lot of minds, in part because gun laws didn't substantially change afterwards, and it became clear that powerful lobbies like the NRA didn't want them to change. However, this wasn't when Catherine got involved. I've been involved with gun safety or gun violence prevention since I was a child, really. Um, my first hero in politics, or my first hero, really, was Robert Kennedy. When I was junior high school, I became enamored of Robert Kennedy and, um, and was very excited when he ran for president. And I, would, I remember watching election nights and watching the campaign and vividly remember um, the California primary. I, my bedtime was 8 o'clock, I think, or something absurd or whatever. So I had to go to bed. So the next morning, I woke up not knowing anything, rushed to the television to turn it on to see the news. Kennedy, of course, was assassinated. I was devastated. Um, and I will never forget that. And it was like at that point, I said, something's wrong. So move forward to when I'm in the New Hampshire House. Um, background checks were something that um, people were talking about on a national level. This was the early 2000s. Democrats held a majority in the House, but the bill still failed. Catherine's been in the minority ever since, until this year. We've been offering it ever since, every two years. Um, it's ebbed and flowed as far as how it did as far as the committee. We've always fought it on the floor and talked about it. Every time that bill comes up and you debate it. Has the debate changed either in tenor or in the actual things that people say? Um, it's changed each time. I think the thing that's alarming to me is that I try very hard to make the debate about the issue, about the facts, about the philosophy. And I think that there are those on the other side that do so. Uh, Representative Baldessero, is a good friend of mine. If you don't follow New Hampshire politics, Al Baldessero is a well-known conservative house rep. He's outspoken. He's sometimes graphic in his language, but... We joke all the time. We co-sponsor bills on animal rights, on, on senior citizens, and we work together collaboratively on a number of things. He's actually co-sponsored a, a gun safety provision with me on another bill. We disagree philosophically, and when he and I debate, it's very factual. There's no name-calling, there's no hyperbole and whatever. I can't say the same with other individuals. At one point, and this made national news, conservative lawmakers wore fake pearls to a public hearing for one of the gun bills, as if to say, you're clutching your pearls. A number of the people testifying were mothers speaking about their concern for their children. The pearls thing looked bad. 
The lawmakers said that they had been misunderstood. The pearls were meant to show support for a gun rights group. The whole incident began to feel beside the point, but also it was the point. This is where we're at. I asked Matt Mayberry that same question. What does he think has changed? He had more or less the same answer as Catherine Rogers. I think, unfortunately, on both sides of the aisle and both sides of the issue, we've actually denigrated the conversation. The hyperbole on both sides is heightened. And this is what excites the bridge builders out there. The possibility that we all want the same things. We all want to be safe and to be respected. And that's kind of true. But of course, it doesn't solve our constitutional disagreements. To Matt Mayberry, the Second Amendment is non-negotiable. To Catherine Rogers, it has to be negotiable. And my fear is that I think a lot of people think that the Second Amendment is more important than the First Amendment, or the Third Amendment, or the Fourth Amendment, or the Fifth Amendment. And that, that worries me. I think that if you read Justice Scalia, not a great liberal, <laughs> but he wrote very clearly in some of his decisions that we have the right to regulate the Second Amendment just as we have a right to regulate others. The Second Amendment is not even a complete sentence. Grammatically, the words crumble into whatever you want them to say. Plenty of people don't even see this as a grand constitutional battleground. There's a third group of people that are kind of left out of the gun conversation. That, that Those people we see every day. This is Ben again, the gun shop owner. A lot of Ben's customers are a younger generation that just like to build and customize and tinker with guns as a hobby. So usually you have either hunters or home and self-defense people. In between that, we've got like recreational people, competition people or hobby people. Those are the people that primarily get kind of like left out of the conversation. That's got to be at least, I'd say, 90% of the people that we deal with. So Ben tends to be in the middle when it comes to policy. Things like the waiting period, he says, would hamper his business. Things like private sales, he says, should probably have some kind of regulation on them. But it's really the rhetoric, the unbelievable extremes of the stuff we say to each other about guns. It's just alienating. When you're forced to choose sides and neither one of them are really representative of how you feel, like where do you, where do you go from there? I hope we've hit rock bottom. I'm always optimistic. I can't afford not to be. Otherwise, I wouldn't have brought it this many times. Word of Mouth is created by me, Ben Henry, Justine Paradise, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Our executive producer is Erica Janik. And we're a production of the podcast department of New Hampshire Public Radio. 